Okay, so I hope you got your notebooks this morning because this is not a regular sermon. It's going to be a theological lecture. I don't know how else to try and deal with this topic. As I mentioned last week, during the, the story of Job that we uh, dealt with, I wanted to have a look at the concept of evil and suffering and why, why God allows this to happen. Why is there so much stuff around us? Just to remind you quickly, last week as we looked at the book of Job, I shared a few lessons in the hundreds, but the few I shared with you is that bad things do happen to good people, that uh, Job was declared a righteous man by God himself, and yet he went through suffering beyond that we couldn't even begin to imagine. What's happening there at the back with my thing? That we are to never lose hope in God, that hope is the thing that keeps us going uh, when nothing else keeps us going and all our suffering and everything else leads us to hope further and the Bible is very clear that hope does not disappoint us. I said that people may fail us, remember Job's miserable comforters he called them, uh, people will fail us, but God never fails us, and we can continue to trust in him. And even when everything seems quiet, God is still present, and God is still in control. And that's really what I want to talk about today, the fact that God is still in control, or is he actually in control? You see, for the non-believer, the major argument always for not being able to believe in God is the fact that there's so much evil in the world. How can God be good with all this bad stuff? How does a good, kind, merciful, loving God allow the suffering we endure and the suffering we see around us every single day of our lives? It's a huge dilemma for people who don't believe, as much as it pro probably more so, but as much as it often is for us as believers. And the argument goes something like this. The biblical God is loving. The biblical God is good. The biblical God is holy. The biblical God is wise. The biblical God is all-powerful. Yet, massive evil exists in the world. Therefore, the biblical, biblical God does not exist. And if the biblical God cannot exist, then the Bible that presents such a God is definitely not to be believed. That's the argument of many, many people, and it's legitimate. And for us as believers, this is often such a serious dilemma that the only option for us sometimes is to change the subject or throw in a verse like Deuteronomy 29, 29, which says, the secret things belong to the Lord. <laughs> it's just like a cop-out. We don't understand, so we'll just, we'll just leave it to God to work out. But you know what? There is an answer in the Bible that we actually can understand and even joyfully accept as we start thinking about evil. It's not one of the inadequate short answers like, well, God's not responsible. Adam and Eve are responsible. See, that only poses the question as why God allowed Adam and Eve the option of making sinful choices. I mean, he created them. 
If God knew they were going to make those kind of choices, then why did he make them capable of making those kinds of choices? It also doesn't help to say that God is not responsible, Satan's responsible. Then that poses another question. Why would God create angels knowing that they would fall, that one of them would become the devil and in fact lead the entire human race into sin? If God knew he was going to make those choices and lead to these issues, why did he make them? He's the creator. He created them out of nothing. So surely he could have made them any way he wanted to, and certainly not so that they had the potential to lead us astray. This leads us back to God. How can a good God have created that sort of being? See, everything ultimately goes back to the nature of God and the purposes of God. Now, let's not try and explain God away or try and cover for him. We need to know what's actually going on here. And in order to understand evil, let's just clarify some basics about evil. Will you agree with me that evil exists? Amen? Evil exists. Unless you happen to belong to the Christian science movement, which is neither Christian nor science, that denies the reality of evil following the teachers of Mary Baker Eddy and now followed and propagated by movie stars like Tom Cruise and others uh, who believe there is no such thing as evil. I think we can all agree that evil exists and it exists massively. Let's break this evil down a little bit. Just some categories for you to think about. First of all, we get natural evil. Not talking about inner moral evil. We're talking about the presence of that which is dangerous, which is destructive, which is deadly externally. It's part of the creation, the fallen creation itself. It's impersonal and it's external to us. I include things like temporal diseases, disasters, catastrophes, typhoons, tidal waves, and all of those things. From tiny, from massive tidal waves to the tiniest bacteria, and from viruses to erupting volcanoes. This planet is a very dangerous place in which to live. If there was no Satan... Uh, this fallen creation would still be a very dangerous place to live. Just the normal flu, for example, kills about 650,000 people a year, according to the World Health Organization. 650,000 people a year die just because of flu. Total COVID deaths, we've just come through a pandemic, is about 6.5 million, if those are legitimately recorded. Uh, six and a half million. So that's, that's quite a lot of people to die in the last two or three years. But I'll tell you about a little flu that happened in 1918 where over 100 million people died from the flu. All because of a tiny virus in some pigs in an obscure place called Kansas in America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not insulting my American friends here. But in Kansas, there was this, uh, this uh, flu that came from the pigs, <clears throat> about 25,000 soldiers in this base towards the end of the First World War. They went all over the world, and in no time, 
a hundred million people had died from flu. And you know what? It could happen again at any time. This is a dangerous place we live in. Do you know there wasn't a disease in the history of humanity that was cured scientifically until 1885 when Louis Pasteur announced the successful inoculation of a human with his experimental rabies vaccine? 1885. That's only 100 and something years ago. Or there or there about. 200 years ago. No, what's it? 150. Yeah, 150 years ago or so. You can be thankful that you're living on this end of man subduing the earth, but this is still a very dangerous planet to live on. That's why Romans 8.22 says, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So that's natural evil. That's happening externally around us all the time. Secondly, there's a thing we could call moral evil. Moral evil is personal, internal, spiritual wickedness, sin, transgression. This dominates the human race, and it's in every single human heart. It's a controlling force, especially for the unsaved. For those who are saved, we have been set free from that dominion and power of sin. doesn't mean we don't still sin or we can't still sin. It just means we don't have to sin because Jesus has set us free from that. But for the rest of the earth, you can just imagine. The Bible tells us that no one is good and the thoughts and intentions of the heart are only evil all the time. I mean, man is driven by lusts that produce sin and death. This entire world is inhabited by people who are evil to the core morally. Now, I know we like to think that most people are good. Let me rephrase that. Most people are trying to be good. But at the core of every human being's heart is only wickedness, according to the Word of God. Now, you can just imagine all these, these wicked people, an earth of people who are essentially wicked, trying to stay married, trying to keep family relationships going, you know, trying to keep friendships going. It's going to go wrong, sometimes even escalating to wars and world wars. Friends, we don't need to look far to see the manifest evidence of moral evil in the world. Call it the Adam and Eve sin condition, if you like. Because of them, the rest of us are all in trouble. So we've got this natural evil, we've got the moral evil, but there's also another unseen evil. Let's call it supernatural evil. A force of demonic beings surrounding us. These are spiritual entities, evil spirits, liars and deceivers. In fact, 1 John 5, 19 says, the whole world, the cosmos, is under control of the evil one. Why Paul writes to the Ephesians says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Revelation 12 tells us a third of the holy angels fell out of heaven and constitute the force of demons who develop their ideologies that become strongholds in people's lives, as Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 10. These demons are vile beings who infect our lives, as we learned from the story of Job last week. Sometimes God allows that as we read from Job. And as we read about Paul, think about Paul who was given a messenger of Satan to torment him. And even our reading as we started this morning, Simon or Peter, Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked you to, asked to sift you as wheat. They have a sense of delegated authority in the world, sovereignty in the world. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, and he has temporary right to rule over the world system. This force of demons who use their powers to seduce and deceive humanity to fight the purposes of God. They primarily involved in the development of false religious belief systems, promoters of deviant Christianity, and the warping of the thoughts of man. Bible tells us in 2 Timothy about those who go about deceiving and being deceived. The so-called church of the Lord Jesus Christ, I say so-called, is full of deceivers today. There is deception untold. People preaching the biggest lot of hogwash that you could ever imagine. People who are so deceived, they're doing it in the name of God. And yet it's got nothing to do with his revealed word. So we have this supernatural evil as well. And then fourthly, very quickly, there's one evil that will last forever, and that's just simply called hell. For those who have rejected the wonderful grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's got nothing to do with your baptism. It's got nothing to do with how often you take communion. It's got nothing to do with your church membership or your denomination. It's got nothing to do with how much money you do or don't give. It's got nothing to do with anything other than what have you done with Jesus Christ. Evil is not just present in our world, friends. It's pervasive. It's subtle. It's powerful. It's dominant. It's inside. It's outside. It's around us. So we start with the obvious. Evil exists. And it's not minimal. It's not just the kind of things we see on TV and read about in the newspapers. It is everywhere, in everyone, out of control, systemic evil. So we agree, evil exists. Amen? The second thing I think we can affirm and hopefully agree on this morning is that God exists. The God of the Bible is the true and only living God. According to the scripture, he's absolutely sovereign. In other words, he is absolutely in charge of everything. Can you say that word, everything, with me? Everything. That was a weak one. Again, everything. He controls everything. He created everything out of nothing, and one day he will wrap up his story completely. When he is ready, his story comes to an end, and he consummates it. He's the governing history in every minute detail. Let me tell you, there is not one molecule in the universe that is out of line with his purpose. 
Yes, this earth will be destroyed, but not because the polar ice caps melt and it gets flooded like the alarmists are saying. Every time you see a rainbow as a believer, you know it's not going to happen. Genesis 8.22 says, as long as earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So stop worrying about the polar caps melting. In fact, do a little experiment when you get home. Take a glass of water, fill it with water and ice blocks and mark the level of water and see what happens to the level of water when the ice melts. It might surprise you. <laughs> Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the, it's Yahweh's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 1 Chronicles 29, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours, O Lord. Wealth, where am I? Everything is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. God exists. Psalm 115 verse 3, I love what it says. Our God, our God is in heaven. <laughs> And he does whatever pleases him. Don't care what your name, don't care what your title, don't care what your affiliation is. God does whatever pleases him. I love it. Daniel 4.35, all the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? Friends, God is absolutely sovereign. We've got to believe that he exists and that he is totally sovereign. If you're having trouble accepting the sovereignty of God, then think a while on the idea that perhaps he's not in charge. I'm so glad he is in charge. I might not always like the way he does things, but he's God. And in his sovereignty, he allows evil, which is my third thought this morning. See, evil exists. God exists in his total sovereignty. But he also allows evil to exist. The fact that there is evil around us means that God has allowed that evil to happen, to exist. If he didn't allow it, it wouldn't be there. Or he's not sovereign. Deuteronomy 32, see, now that I myself and he, there is no God beside me. Now for those of you we believe in this health, wealth, and all this other gobbledygook. What does God say? I put to death. I bring to life. I have wounded. I will heal. And no one will deliver me, can deliver out of my hand. Exodus 4, when God speaking to Moses, you see, says, who gave man his mouth? 
makes him deaf? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? You starting to get this? Psalm 105, verse 16. He called down famine on the land, God, and destroyed all their supplies of food. <laughs> Second Kings 17, 25, when they first lived here, they didn't worship the Lord. So what did he do? He sent, God sent lions among them and killed some of the people. So for all the folks who are trying to get God off the hook, for all the evil we see, I want to let you into something this morning that I'm, I'm hoping will release you. God's actually happy to leave himself on that hook. He allows these things. Lamentations 3 says, Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Remember our story last week? Satan coming to Job, I mean, God, Satan coming to Job, to God, and saying what he said. It's only because you've got your hand of protection upon him. God says, "Okay, you can do that." Satan comes back and says, "Job's still not buckling," and God says, "Okay, you can do that." Who can speak and have it happen if the Lord has not decreed it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that both calamities and good things come? Not sure anybody could miss the fact that God exists as sovereign and allows evil. If we just think about the flood, for example, an estimated 10 to 100 million people drowned by whom? By God. I mean, we love the story of Noah and the, and the seven with him being saved in the ark. But who drowned a hundred million people? Some Christians feel desperately the need to rescue God from this perception. But God is quite content to make it clear that he is in fact unhesitatingly sovereign over everything that exists without even one small hint of reluctance. He's not asking to be rescued from bad press that's fallen upon him because he's blamed for all the bad things that are in the world. Now don't be mistaken, he is holy and he cannot do evil. He cannot look upon evil positively. He is the God who is incapable of doing anything evil. But he is content to leave the responsibility for evil's existence with himself. Why? Because he is ultimately sovereign. He is the sole ruler of this universe. 1 Timothy 6.15 says, God, the blessed and only ruler, King of kings, and Lord of Lords. 
Job 23, 13, he stands alone. Who can oppose him? He does whatever pleases him. Psalm 103, 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all. Isaiah 46, 9, remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do what I please. 1 Samuel 2, the Lord brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and exalts. The Christian church most of the time is so busy shouting and screaming at the devil for doing everything that they miss the point of everything. God is ultimately in charge. Amos 3.6 says, when disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord, Yahweh, caused it? Are you getting this? God takes full responsibility for the existence of evil since he is God and he controls everything. Evil is no disruption, though, in God's purpose. He's going to do what he's going to do. <clears throat> Isaiah 45, I am the Lord, there is no other apart from me, there is no God. I will strengthen you, though, that, though you have not acknowledged me, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, men may know there is none besides me. I am Yahweh. There is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. You cannot switch on Christ, Christian, and I put it in inverted commas, television where all they're talking about is prosperity and prosperity and prosperity and health and health and health and wealth and wealth and wealth. And that's all they talk about. The other half of the same coin, there's not a single mention. When last did you hear someone say, I bring prosperity and create disaster? I, the Lord, do all these things. And if you've got a quarrel about that, I give you a little warning. Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. <laughs> Remember Job last week? God comes to him and says, Now brace yourself and answer like a man. Where were you when I did this and that and the next thing for how, how many chapters? Woe to him who quarrels with his maker. To him is but a potsherd among potsherds on the ground. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say he has no hands? Woe to him who says to his father, what have you begotten? Or to his mother, what have you, what have you brought to birth? This is what the Lord, Yahweh, the Holy One of Israel and its maker says. Concerning things to come, do you question me about my children or give me orders about the work of my hands? It is I who made the earth and created mankind upon it. My own hands stretched out the heavens. I marshaled their starry hosts. Again and again, God takes full responsibility 
for the existence of evil unfolding in this world. This might strike panic in your heart. I mean, you were okay that knowing evil exists and you were okay that God exists and maybe even that God was sovereign. But you see, the panic attack hits because you just can't let God be held responsible for anything you define as not right. You want to save God from a fate worse than death, being responsible for the existence of evil in the world. How do we go about this? What do we do? I'll tell you what we do. We reinvent God. We reinvent a diminished God. Scripture commands us to exalt God, to lift Him high. But our reconstructed God has been pulled down. We don't want to include anything evil or any disaster or any calamity. We don't want to include any of this in our God. So we've pulled our God down. And we've created for ourselves a God like the golden calf that, by the way, they're actually called Yahweh and worshipped. We create our own golden calf God because he's comfortable and he fits into our way of thinking, our little theologies. I want to tell you that that invention of a new God is probably the ultimate blasphemy as we take the name of the Lord our God in vain, creating a God of our own making and calling him the God of the Scripture. That's not the God of the Scripture. That health, wealth, and prosperity God is not the God of the Scripture alone. So either God is all-powerful and he allows evil to exist, This is scary. Or he is limited in his power because he's doing very little about it. I don't really think God was in the Garden of Eden keeping his fingers crossed, hoping for the best for Adam and Eve. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit meeting together and saying, we hope, we hope, we hope they're not going to. We hope, no, no, don't. No, 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 you know. We know different, are we? Positive thinking didn't work for God. Positive thinking is not going to work for us. That's the gospel. Whatever you think, you can have. That's the same gospel. So many different efforts have been made by educated theologians to get God out from being responsible for evil. If we take anything away from him, We make him less of a God than he really is. Again, God allowed evil. He designed it into this universe without being responsible for it. Evil exists. God exists. And yes, God allows evil to exist. So here's a simple question for you. How do we defend the goodness of God in light of what we've heard this morning? How can we defend his goodness? How can we talk about this good, kind, merciful, wonderful God that we serve? Well, here's another question. For you, is God made more glorious because evil exists? Or is he made less glorious because evil exists? Is God made more glorious because evil exists? Or is he made less glorious because evil exists? Your answer will depend on who your God is and whether your God is all-powerful or not. I'll tell you this. 
God is made infinitely, infinitely more glorious. Because evil exists, we praise him because of what he has done to overcome that evil. Romans chapter 3 verse 5 says, Our righteousness, unrighteousness, I beg your pardon, brings out God's righteousness more clearly. Our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly. In other words, our righteousness, unrighteousness, our sin, our fallenness, our iniquity, our corruption, our wretchedness puts the righteousness of God in effect on display. As we look around at the evil, we are forced to look at the goodness of God. You see, that reality starts and ends at the cross where we see the full manifestation of the righteousness of God displayed as he punishes the holy, harmless, undefiled son for our sins to satisfy his righteousness. Friends, we would never see the cross. We would never see the majesty, rather, of that righteousness if we didn't see the cross. We would never see the cross if there was no sin and no evil. Think about it. If there was no evil, you wouldn't know good. It's that simple. Acts chapter 2 says, Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among them through, through him, as you yourself know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. This wasn't a backup plan. This wasn't a oops, man's sin. This wasn't a oops, sin has entered and destroyed creation. This wasn't a oops, let's make another thing. This man, Jesus, was handed over by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. So for the sake of demonstrating his righteousness, he would allow sin and evil. Romans 9, 22, what if... God, choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath prepared for destruction. What if he did this? To make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he called. Isn't that amazing? There it is. God chose he did this to make the riches of his glory known to us. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. God demonstrates two things. He demonstrates his wrath. He demonstrates his mercy. We wouldn't know what wrath was and we wouldn't know what mercy was if there was no sin and evil in the world. Romans 11, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord 
or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I tell you this, I don't want to live in a world where evil controls God. No such world exists, but that's the choice you have. Either you believe in the God who is in complete, complete control of evil, or you believe evil is in control of God, and he's reacting to it in the best way he can. That's not the God of Scripture. But there's a worse scenario even than that. It's up to you to shout and scream at the devil, to tie him up and bound him and send him to the pit and a whole lot of other nonsense and gobbledygook we hear. I've been in prayer meetings where people spend more time speaking to the devil and giving the devil more glory than the sovereign Lord from whom all things emanate. This is a hard message for some to accept. And I know many of you are going to go home with more questions than not. And I know in half an hour it's impossible to try and explain. But let me just summarize. Evil exists. Obvious. God exists. Obvious. God allows evil to exist or he's not in charge. God is actually made more glorious because evil exists. So let me give you a practical example. Half past three this morning, we have another intrusion. It's like a few times a week at my house. And my initial response is to use words that I've forgotten about 40, 50 years ago. Uh, to threaten to stay awake all night with a loaded firearm and to stop these people from ever intruding on my private property and robbing me of speech, of sleep. But that's my human response. As I thought about it afterwards in this message today, I said, Lord, that's evil. They're coming to steal. But you looked after me. I'm here. I'm alive. How good is God that they never stole anything? Even a brand new beam I put up didn't go off. And my old one picked them up. Lord, you are so good. That's the response. Evil's there. But man, it makes us look at a wonderful God. Next time that gout gets to you. <laughs> don't shout and scream at the devil. You know. You can do whatever you want to do, but rather focus on the sovereignty and the majesty, the power, that magnificent, magnificence. Yes, the healing power and everything else that goes along, but let's focus on God and acknowledge that there is not one single molecule in this entire universe that is not subject to his command. And with that in mind, I can go through this world and know he's got it. 
all the promises of how much he loves me and how much he heals me and how much he does this and that, they're all there. But it's based on the fact that he's in charge of everything. 